Hello, this is William Fink of Christagenia.org, and this is Christagenia Internet Radio. Today is Friday, November 30th, 2018. This program is being pre-recorded for presentation at Christagenia this evening. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. This is what I hope will turn out to be the Hurricast, Part 1. The Hurricast, the Hurricane Podcast, Part 1. Tonight, I am going to talk briefly about our personal experience in the aftermath of Hurricane Michael, just to have it on record. Then we will also present an interview with Sean Winkler, a friend and fellow League of the South member from Mississippi who came to Florida as a volunteer in the hurricane relief effort. Because I have had many inquiries as to my own well-being and also that of Christagenia, my ministry, and how we are faring after the storm, I will begin with an account from a personal perspective. Wanting to wisely invest and preserve the money which Clifton Emmeheiser had left us upon his passing this past July. Just about six weeks before the recent hurricane, Melissa and I had bought a house in a sportsman's mecca an hour's drive north and west of where we had lived in Panama City. We had hoped that it would become a sometimes retreat, a refuge of sorts, as well as a potentially profitable investment property. In that way we would be doing what Clifton wanted, which is for me to be able to perpetuate our ministry while we would also be preserving the value of the original investment. So we began to decorate the place, spending my weekly day or day and a half off there, but we did not plan to live there full time. Much of my work at Christagenia depends upon high speed internet service and a reliable cell phone connection and the area this house is in has neither of those luxuries. But there are plenty of deer, bear, hyenas, fish, and reportedly even alligators. We were there the evening before Hurricane Michael hit Florida, sharing a beer on the porch swing, but returned to our home north of Panama City in the early hours of the morning. Melissa wanted to stay, but we didn't yet know exactly where the storm would hit and the roads are much better and the house much further from water so it seemed to be the logical choice. Around that same time the force of the storm was upgraded from category 2 to category 3 and quickly to category 4. Now the risk was much more serious and it happened so quickly that better advanced preparation was hardly possible. I was up and working at my desk when the lights went out at 10 a.m. Wednesday morning, October 10th. Although the wind had been picking up, tracking the storm on the internet, which also went out at the same time, I didn't expect the outage for at least another hour. Around 40 minutes later, the last of my computers went off. 
after the backup batteries had exhausted themselves. From that point, I lost track of time, a situation which actually persisted for the next several days, at least. A short time later, I stepped out onto our front deck, and there was a stand of pine trees near our home, but they were on our neighbor's property. They were waving so violently in the wind that I thought to move our vehicles as far away from them as possible. So I drove them around to the far side of the house. Within the next few minutes, three large pine trees came crashing down into our front yard, right near where the vehicles had been parked. After moving our jeeps, I went back into the house, expecting to ride out the storm by curling up in the book, but only a few minutes later a loud crash was heard on our roof. So I went to the far side of the house to inspect the damage, the end which is near that same stand of pine trees. Looking at the sky through my roof, another and much larger crash sounded as a larger section of tree came down nearly right over my head. There was a large hole in the roof over half of my library and the rainwater was pouring into four rooms of our ten-room house. I found Melissa praying on the bedroom floor. So enlisting her and the help of a friend who was staying there with us, we spent the next half hour or so moving books to a dry part of the house. During this process, two more large pine trees crashed down right near one another on the front corner of that same end of the house, totally destroying one room and seriously damaging the room behind it, the same one which was struck in the beginning. The wall at that end of the house was almost completely blown out, and half the roof caved in. Wind and rain pouring in the front half of the storm began to subside just when we thought that half the house may be blown apart. During those last minutes, the recreational travel trailer we purchased for our travels last February, which had escaped the falling trees, was flipped over by the wind. There was actually down on route State Route 231, a few miles from our home, a quarter-mile-long freight train flipped over by the wind. So the travel trailer was really no surprise. After the eye of the hurricane passed over our heads, something which seemed to take only ten or so minutes the back half of the storm began blowing in the opposite direction. But thankfully this half was not nearly as eventful for us. The only damage which it caused was to destroy our well house, which in turn broke up the pipes from the well to the pressure tank. It also tore the electrical connections from the side of our home and broke the largest limbs from the two oak trees we have in our front yard. The falling limbs themselves caused no damage except to the lawn. Nearly every tree in our backyard, at least one 
large pine and four or five oak trees were taken down completely by the storm, nearly all of them uprooted. Six of our neighbor's pines and one from our own property crashed down upon us, four of them hitting the house. The double-wide trailer itself did remarkably well in the storm. It was unexpectedly, unexpectedly solid, and we never felt the wind threaten the structure while we were inside. I think we would have only lost the downspouts for our gutters if it had not started raining trees. It was not designed to withstand falling trees. Even though once they fell, the structure held up a lot better than I ever would have expected. We did what we could to clean up the mess inside, a task we worked at for quite a few hours. We were able to use our cell phones until midnight, notifying friends and family that we were safe when suddenly the signals died. So being quite exhausted, we went to bed in the heat without electricity or running water. Later, I would learn that while there was some damage to a downtown facility, Verizon had purposely disrupted civilian use of cell services to reserve the bandwidth for emergency workers and law enforcement, a situation which they maintained for several weeks. The next morning, we woke up early and decided that we had to head out for supplies. It was several hours before we were able to do so. All through the night and into the next day, men from the neighborhood were cutting a path through the fallen trees so that cars could reach the highway. Around midday, we were able to wind our way around the cut-through pine trunks and headed south towards town on U.S. Route 231, the main artery from Panama City to Alabama, which actually runs all the way to St. John, Indiana. Only 24 hours after the hurricane, the local police turned us around at Star Avenue. This road intersects U.S. Route 231 about six and a half miles north of the Panama City line. For the next several days, only law enforcement and emergency workers were allowed into the town. We would only find out days later how badly the city was damaged. So, we headed north to Dothan, Alabama. Route 231 is frequented by tens of thousands of vacationers each year, and the hurricane also seemed to have taken it north. Melissa had actually mentioned that possibility the night before the storm hit, that it would go right up 231, and that's what it did. All along the highway, there were smashed buildings, twisted billboards, downed utility poles, and broken or downed trees. What seemed like hundreds of thousands of broken or downed trees. Entire fields of trees were broken in two, snapped off in the middle, or uprooted. 
Along the way to Dothan, we also saw entire caravans of utility trucks, ambulances, and police agency vehicles from other Florida counties pouring down into Panama City. The southbound traffic was at a crawl, and heading north we knew we would have to deal with it upon trying to return. Traffic in both directions was also considerably slowed because of all the downed trees and utility poles blocking the right lanes going both north and south. And the fact that all traffic lights were out of commission. While the gravity of the destruction seemed to diminish somewhat as we were headed north, at least along the highway, there were damaged buildings, down trees and poles, and electrical outages all the way to Dothan, which is about 90 minutes north of our house. We have heard from friends that many smaller towns north and to the east of Panama City fared just as badly as the city itself, but have not yet had the opportunity to see them for ourselves, something I want to do in the very near future. Once we reached Dothan, we were able to procure a generator, a week's supply of non-perishable canned food, bottled water, gas cans, gasoline, candles, batteries, and other items we thought we would need, some of which we probably should have had on hand ahead of time. But a lot of other people from Florida had the same idea we had, and if we were only a few hours later, we may have had to drive on to Troy or even to Montgomery to obtain what we needed. It was late afternoon or maybe early evening when we began our return trip south with a jeep full of supplies. While I had to buy a generator, I already had one that a good friend gave us a couple of years ago. It wouldn't operate because it was not dry stored, and the gasoline was probably unstable after sitting in it for two years. I got it started Wednesday night, but it only ran for a few seconds. The second time I tried to start it, the pull cord snapped. Life can be hard when being prepared for these events is only an afterthought. For the next storm season, I will endeavor to work out a routine of keeping so much gas on hand and rotating it, which probably means bringing gas cans to the station once a month and test starting the generator several times throughout the season, letting it run until the gas runs out. 2020 hindsight, hopefully the next time I won't be so slack. During the drive to Dothan, I was contacted by a friend, Martin, a longtime Christogenia Forum member. He had just been through a bad storm himself that hit where he lives in South Florida just last year, and he promised to drive up to help dig us out. Kevin, another friend and a fellow League of the South member, also called and promised to be in Panama City Friday afternoon. These friends were invaluable 
as it probably would have taken me over a week to do by myself what they had helped get done in only two days and much better than I could have done it alone. Driving home from Dothan, Melissa was worried about the new house which we had just bought since the one we were living in was practically destroyed. So driving home we decided it would be good to check on it since even though it is an hour west it may save us from sitting in the southbound traffic on 231 all night which certainly did turn out to be a good idea. While we were still far north of Panama City we headed west for State Route 79. The further south we got on 79 the more our hearts were encouraged. There was hardly any damage all the way to the back end of Panama City Beach. Later we would learn that most of the beach escaped serious damage with only a few exceptions. Most of the damage occurred east of St. Andrews Bay which seemed to be on the western edge of the most furious part of the storm. Here, <clears throat> here on the Florida Panhandle, Panama City Beach on the west is called the beach and Panama City on the east is called the town, while St. Andrew's Bay separates the two portions and the Hathaway Bridge. Once upon a time they were incorporated into one city but divided in the 1930s. It would still be a couple of days before we learned that Mexico Beach, a vacation town 20 miles to the east of St. Andrews Bay, was almost totally destroyed. When we arrived at the new house, the electricity was out but the house was untouched. The property was covered with leaves and small limbs and other debris caused by heavy winds, but nothing that a day or two of raking cannot repair. For that we praised, for that we praised Yahweh, although we have still not had the chance to finish the raking. As things developed, the area was only without electricity for a couple of days as line damage was minor. Now the drive east back to Panama City was not so bad and it was late Thursday evening when we finally got home. As a digression, traffic throughout Panama City has been absolutely horrible for the last six or eight weeks since the storm, however long it's been since the storm. I guess it's been about seven weeks now the traffic that the population here is greatly inflated with out-of-state workers and traffic is impossible in certain directions at given times of the day. Last year I bought a small battery-operated DeWalt chainsaw for a backyard project that I never got around to doing. The saw sat on top of a bookcase in the hall outside my office and throughout the hot summer I was almost thinking that I may never get the time to use it. Having grown up in the city, I never even used a chainsaw before. So Friday morning I awoke early and used, learned how to use that one very quickly. By early in the afternoon I had one pine tree cut out of the front yard, moving all the pieces to the side, and it started on the second.
Once Martin arrived with generators and other supplies and tools, together we cut away the trees in our front yard to open up access to the house and to have some space for parking. So after topping and trimming the remaining trees, we used Martin's truck and a heavy chain to drag two large pine trunks out of the way, opening the driveway at the front of our home. The streets and roads throughout this area are littered with piles of chunks of pine tree, mostly pine tree and some oak tree. And everywhere you look, you see piles of chunks of pine trees and houses with smashed roofs or large tarps on them. Because if their roofs weren't smashed, they lost all their tiles in the wind. We then took Martin to our other house, hoping to shower, but the electricity was still not on and there was no easy way to hook a generator up to the well pump. So while Martin got a tour, we returned as dirty as we were when we started out. While we were gone, Kevin had arrived at dinner time with a ton of supplies, water, dry food, and MREs. 20 gallons of gasoline and other equipment, but most importantly, two 20 by 40 foot tarps and the necessary tools and supplies to nail them down. He was already heating some of those MREs on a propane stove on our front deck when we got home. Stores and restaurants are scarce here once you get a few miles out of town and nothing was open within an hour's drive for at least several days. Many stores and restaurants are still closed and will probably never open again. The next morning we cut all the pine trees from our roof. Four trees had hit, two whole trees and two tops. But the first top was blown off into the backyard by the wind on the back side of the storm. It made a few holes in the roof, but it had no large limbs which had punched through to keep it up there. The second top was a lot larger and had many large limbs, and the two trees which fell with their trunks were much larger than that, several of their lower limbs going through the roof and their upper limbs hanging over the front of the house. At one point we were cutting limbs by reaching up from the inside of the house to make it easier to remove the pieces from the roof. Finally, on Sunday morning, we endeavored to tarp the half of the roof with all of the holes. But the far corner over the one destroyed room, which was hit by two entire pine trees, would never have held a tarp. Fortunately, we had plenty of materials on hand to remedy the situation. A storage shed, which belonged to my neighbor, made of many eight-foot-long two-by-fours, was blown apart and into my front yard. But Kevin noticed another, another one made of many twelve-foot-long panels of tin, which had disintegrated and was blown into the backyard. The tin made an ideal temporary roof to support the tarps, and I spent the early morning collecting and preparing the least crumpled pieces and passing them up to Kevin and Martin. By noon, the tarps were nailed down and secured. Early Sunday afternoon, both of our friends returned to their homes. 
By Monday, the Lowe's and Home Depot stores were open in Panama City Beach, and I bought dozens of bungee cords and secured the loose edges of the tarps, expecting them to withstand any normal rainfall over the coming weeks. Not knowing what the insurance company is going to do with the home, we wanted to preserve what was left. These last few weeks, there was much normal rainfall. There was much more rainfall than normal, and they have held up well. We could have stayed at our old home if we absolutely had to, but I would not have been able to do anything from there for a long time to come. I certainly would not have been able to work there. There is still no electricity or running water, and it will probably still be quite some time before the house is repaired or replaced, if indeed we are even able to repair or replace it. It would have been like camping, and no better since it is also now impossible to escape from the heat and the insects. The insect problem is even greater than usual, since in the aftermath of the storm, there is a whole new crop of flies, wasps, and mosquitoes. In fact, all over the area, there is an incredible amount of newly hatched mosquitoes since the storm. The fire ants also have been much more aggressive than usual. So by Monday, Melissa and I had already decided that we had little choice but to move to the new house. Back at the end of September, we took a trip to Tennessee with our RV trailer, and the Jeep had a serious problem towing it over the long distance. So during the trip, we had to have a costly repair made, and we decided to buy a 10-year-old Ford pickup truck to get the trailer home without running the Jeep into the ground. Little did we know that only a week after coming home, the pickup truck would be put to work moving. We are still not completely moved, but over the past few weeks we have been able to move most of my library and most of our furniture and other belongings. Hopefully, in a couple of more weeks, the move will be completed. We did not even have the chance to paint the walls before moving in, so hopefully that will be a project for next year. You may wonder why we're moving ourselves with the pickup truck because that's also not very economical. I mean, every small truckload is two hours driving on the road. You can't hire anybody to work here in Panama City. You won't find two men in a truck because practically all of the laborers are working on the hurricane-damaged property of large insured stores and companies and facilities and, and in the wealthier neighborhoods, and they're cashing in on a hurricane. And, and to get an independent laborer to do anything right now here is practically impossible. At this new home, the previous owner had left several um, very old and malfunctioning large appliances on the property that I'd love to get rid of, and I called a truck to do it, 
and they won't even come for it. They're making so much money clearing hurricane debris that they don't want to do anything else. So it might be a while before you could even hire a laborer here. At the old house, I tried to get a plumber to fix up the well pump. And he wasn't even interested because he could make a lot more money in town doing plumbing for, for companies and insurance companies. So why fix my little old well pump? Back at the end of I'm sorry, I already discussed the pickup truck. Hopefully in a couple of more weeks the move will be completed, the move to our new home. But there are a couple of other issues with living here. We are far north of Panama City Beach and outside of a few small towns several miles away, this part of Florida is still mostly wilderness. So it is difficult to work. Satellite internet is very slow. Phone service is terrible. And I cannot do any live podcasts or live interviews from home. The podcasts I have done were pre-recorded <coughs> and uploaded in advance of our schedule, as this one also will be. <coughs> I have acquired a cell phone repeater which I am hoping will improve communications, but it might be yet a few weeks before I could get it properly installed. As I said, it's hard to get people here to do any work unless they're making top dollar working for um, companies and insurance companies and working on hurricane-related projects. So until, in addition to all those communications problems, problems and until we can get all of our belongings moved and get settled in I cannot even consider spending all week at my desk which is usually what it takes for me to get done what I need to get done so for those reasons while I have resumed writing for our Friday night podcast schedule I have not been able to resume Christianity's Saturdays when I can resume the program, which I pray happens in the near future, it may even be moved to Sunday evenings, which will give me more time to pre-record. Traditionally, I have researched these Saturday programs on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and have written them on Saturday, the same day that I would present them. But it is impossible for me to string together nine or ten thousand words and then pre-record a podcast all in a single day so I would have to move it to Sunday. I hope to resume the programs in the near future even if it means going to town to get sufficient cell phone service to conference with friends and fellow workers such as Donald Fox or Sven Longshanks. I also currently have four requests for interviews in my email, which I hope to be able to consider soon. There is much more to our hurricane experience, which I hope to discuss in another podcast on the subject in the near future. For now, 
I wanted to present only my personal experience, what befell us and what is the result for us. If anything, the hand of Yahweh in our lives is perfectly evident and very humbling. This past month we have marveled at the sequence and the timing of the events of this past year. Indeed, we were able to purchase this house while Clifton was alive, but we decided to wait until he passed before investing the money which he left us. But if we had not bought this place six weeks before the storm, we may have been homeless and I would have had no place to work at all. If Clifton were alive when the storm hit, it would have been very difficult for us to do everything we had to do and to care for him as well. If we hadn't had the trouble with the Jeep in Tennessee, I would have no convenient way to move our belongings. Our RV trailer was destroyed in a storm, but we have already been able to replace it with one slightly better, even if we probably won't get to use it for at least a few months. So we marvel at the way in which things have worked out for us, and how the hand of our God always seems to be clearing the path in front of us in ways that we would never expect. We are humbled and we pray for his continuing shelter and guidance in the years to come. As a digression, Christagenia is currently ranked in the top 200,000 websites in the world. It is receiving well over 100,000 visitors each month, and podcast downloads have climbed to exceed 140,000 each month for the past four months including, already, this month. We only ask for your continued support that we may be able to continue to spread this Christian identity truth for as long as Yahweh permits us. Some of our enemies were predicting our demise on the internet only hours before the storm and I am not sorry to have disappointed them. One certain individual who was gleeful at the prospect of our being homeless is now homeless himself, and he is one of those from whom we became alienated after he decided that men are gods who can create their own reality. Rather, he should repent and learn from reality because only the hand of Yahweh our God guides the future for us all and determines our fate. We make nothing of ourselves. As for this evening, I finally decided to present this account of my experience with the hurricane because I strained my back moving furniture earlier this week and it is quite uncomfortable to sit here writing for any significant length of time. I pray that I'm I pray that I am back to writing and can present part ten of our commentary on the Gospel of John next Friday. For now we will hear a recording that 
I had actually made last Saturday with our friend Sean Winkler and his experience in volunteering to come here to Panama City to help others. Sean is also a longtime identity Christian, much longer than myself, and perhaps we will hear him again one day soon in relation to his experience with that, to his Christian identity experiences in the near future. Thank you for listening. Praise Yahweh, the gospel. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel. And now we will present Sean Winkler. Okay. Why don't you just talk a minute, just like a second, because I'm watching the volume. I'm, I'm watching the, the level. Hello, I'm here. Okay. That's better. Than me. Yeah. That's, that's what I wanted anyway. Okay, here we have our fellow brother from the League of the South, Sean Winkler here, to relate to us his own hurricane experience. Sean had come down to the Florida Panhandle, I think the day after the hurricane or two days after the hurricane, to provide relief, a, a, a relief effort along with other League of the South members, and, and Sean was good enough to collect supplies, and we're going to hear from Sean some of his experiences and his impression after the storm. Thanks for being here, Sean. Yeah, no, no problem, Brother Bill. I, um, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad that we were, uh, my wife and I, were, were uh, some assistance uh, during the hurricane effort, uh, cleanup efforts and uh, relief efforts, I should say. Now, I mean, we're kind of in the cleanup efforts now, but the relief efforts. Um, we got here on uh, October 13th and uh, about right on three days, two, three days after the storm. And um, it all started when we were, I was sitting there at the house and just seen, uh, seen on the news that uh, how hard the area was hit. Uh, after visiting Panama for you know a few times this past summer, I mean I felt like it's kind of my second home already. Um, it really really bought, uh, concerned me. It, it was, I was worried. I was worried uh, well about about uh, you and your wife for one, uh, and then uh, also our brother uh, down on the beach and um, some other brothers that uh, I got word about that were not accounted for. Um, so we. Uh, the wife and I, as we're watching the news and watching the events unfold, you know, the the night after the storm, and you know, they they had helicopters out looking for people. They had um, the, the Cajun Navy was down here looking for for people and helping with some efforts. And uh, they said that they were on short shortage on cases of water and chainsaws and uh, various different power equipment. I'm like, well, I we we got the chainsaws and we definitely can go get some truckload a pickup truckload of water so we went and got the some uh some supplies that we knew would would be an immediate that um necessity for for folks down here and then and honestly as we were preparing we we were thinking that we might only be coming into an area that would be similar to what you'd see after a, a tornado um you know maybe some some you know a few damaged homes or a street or two damaged uh we were expecting to see, obviously, people displaced. Uh, we were expecting that. And uh, we got in the truck, and um, uh, which I'd give a big thank you to the International Keystone Knights for that. They uh, 
they paid the the truck rental. They also helped with some fuel expenses. So we the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. Yes. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, sorry about that. I always say I, I'm I'm so uh, just kind of normal about just saying yeah. But yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so they uh, they were a great help. I mean they they put out right away. You know, like I said, about a thousand bucks total just for the truck rental and stuff. So I mean that's that was a blessing right away. We had. That, that was. I'm sorry. I, I want to clarify. That was for you to rent a truck to bring relief supplies into Panama City from northern Mississippi. Yes, which is uh, where we came in from Mississippi is about eight and a half hours to Panama, downtown Panama City, and um, so yeah, that was uh, to help cover the, the, those expenses. Uh, we, like I said, we even used some of that money to to buy. We we heard they needed baby wipes. We heard they, there were some non-perishable foods needed. Uh, the guys, again, we were keeping track of some of the people that's already down here on the ground and giving up, get, giving updates. And we were going based on that, what we should bring. Um, we had the truck loaded, you know, again, we had some great help, um, from the, the Keystone Knights, the Ku Klux Klan. We had them as a group help us. We also had individuals from League of the South immediately, um, send us, uh, funds to help with, uh, fuel expenses, supplies, et cetera. Uh, we started venturing down here, and um, when we got here, though, was something that we were not expecting. Uh, we were expecting, again, we were expecting to see some damaged homes. We weren't expecting to see an entire city in almost rubble as though uh, bombs hit it. What I, and this is a, maybe, some may even consider this exaggeration, but those of us that were here would, would not think so, but it looked like photos that I seen after Dresden was hit during World War II is what it looked like. I mean, there was literally, there was literally houses and and just pieces i mean splinters of and i mean the broken boards and walls literally and just the splinters uh broken bricks and block everywhere i mean uh we saw people we just kind of roaming the streets still kind of in a a daze of shock and all uh, the, the victims that had to live through this horror um demolished buildings were everywhere yeah i just as a uh, even to this day, over after a month later, it still uh, really hits me to think of what these some of these people lived in these buildings or inside these buildings of businesses and stuff, and they just uh, they 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 managed through it and they were still alive, which is amazing. And uh, once we got down here, we heard that there was a call for, you know, some some of the again the people on the ground here. So you know, there's some areas we still can't get to now. This, and keep in mind, this was nearly three days afterwards. Uh, you know, they couldn't get to unless they had ATVs or you had to walk through. And this was in the downtown Panama City area. So we, I called upon uh, some people I knew again with the International Keystone Knights, the Ku Klux Klan, the, that I knew had four-wheelers, uh, different ATVs, and they came out and made out there the next morning after we did. Um, they brought chainsaws. We started cutting our way through roads. I mean, we just seen roads that needed cut through. We started cutting our way through roads. Uh, uh, various people from the League of the South were in contact with us and were trying to get funds to us. So we uh, we learned real quick that, that gas and trying to receive funds was uh, almost an impossibility. Uh, it, uh, um, the the gas, we had one gas station, I think it was open, the Murray's gas station in, in Panama City Beach. But other than that, uh, every gas station in the town of Panama City itself and on that end of the even Panama City Beach was it was not opened or, or, or they were destroyed rather. And, uh, but that night, um, our first night down here is, um, was probably, gosh, I, there's so much of it that was hard hitting, but 
um, we were driving and we were under, we were put onto an understanding that there was a curfew that uh, we had to be off the road by 7 p.m. And uh, we were out helping a brother that day and we went and checked on some other brothers at, of the League of the South that were not accounted for. And unfortunately, that first day, we, we were still not able to contact some of them. And um, we were driving over to check on our brother over at the beach area. And uh, my wife pointed out, you know, look, there's a, there's something flashing like a, a, a light or a lighter or maybe a flashlight, something over in that pile of stuff there. And I was like, well, it looks like a fire. Is there a fire starting? And I was like looking and her having a better eye than me. Uh, of course I was driving in, in this bumper to bumper traffic of emergency vehicles and construction vehicles and relief vehicles. Um, and she said, Sean, I think there's somebody there. Uh, so I pulled the, the rental truck we had. I just pulled it up in this yard. I mean, we had to go over some debris and stuff. And we got up there in the yard and and got out. And we could hear this woman's voice. And uh, she said that uh, her and her daughter are here. And that they've been trying to get attention of rescue workers for the last two days. And I guess with the, the rat race of things, I mean, you know, plus there was a very large shortage of rescue workers at the time. Uh, they didn't see her. They and, were stuck uh, under the debris. Yes, from it was their a, house. A, a section of their roof came down, and luckily, there was one wall that braced it up. But they, um, they, they were able to uh, to be underneath that section. It was held up, but they were trapped. They couldn't get out either end from rubble, trees, and stuff that collapsed over it. Uh, I found a section where I could jack up a little bit. That her daughter, and she said, "My daughter's here." So I'm assuming maybe a teenager. We very quickly discovered her daughter was a four or five year old girl uh, that had this big bottle of water she was drinking, sit, just barely sipping on for almost two days. I mean, this kid, had, her or her daughter had nothing to eat for almost two days. The child was very weak. We got her out just by using bottle jacks on the corner of a house, just jacking up a, a, the, or the corner of the wall or the roof. I'm sorry, not the house, but the wall piece. And, um, you know, then I went down waving down a state trooper, and whom of course called in a rescue team, and they 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 were very successful. They were very quick, and I was impressed with their response time um, to get the mother out. Um, we were, had some water with us. We had some Hershey's candy bar. We gave them and uh, some uh, canned meat that you know we got through donations from people there in Mississippi before we headed down. So uh, you know they 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 appear to be okay um, physically. Um, as we left them and parted ways to be, again, continue to drive over to the beach to look for our one friend and hope we find him and his family okay. And anyway, we did. We went over there and we found them in, in good spirits. Um, their home was had minimal damage um, compared to what we were just seen coming through the city. We uh, we thought, wow, this was some, some big experience. Um, we were only expecting to be here for three or four days um it turned out being over a week and uh we we spent the days ahead after that you know with you know thank, you know praise Yahweh above for the people that came into our lives from various organizations league of the south the ku klux klan um we even had individuals that weren't in groups that were just sending us funds uh we were able to get supplies uh such as diapers uh water non-perishable foods toiletries hygiene products uh, we literally spent the next week just driving around and boy, some of the stories, some of the things we've seen and heard, 
uh, is something that we aren't going to ever forget. Uh, you know, uh, everything from the guy tells us about the nurse that lived in the apartment above him and the, the whole second floor collapsed uh, by the storm, crushing the nurse. Uh, she uh, she only stayed, she, she could have left and she stayed only because she wanted to help those that, that she knew would be affected by the storm and she ended up losing her life as well. And, um, and uh, which on a side note, I just this morning, by the way, in today's Sunday paper, her picture along with about 30 others are in that paper of that lost their lives and that includes people that like utility workers are hit by moving cars after the storm different things uh so it's uh here we are like i said a month later and i think it'll be months or years later till it's really ever fully recovered from the area but when we see the things that we've seen heard what we heard um seen the te heard the testimonies from people that lived this we thought wow we're shocked and we're emotionally uh, uh disturbed by hearing it these people lived it. Um, but you know, what, what we also seen was how strong the Panama City area community is, both Panama City, Panama City Beach. Uh, people came from far and wide around the area, um, all pulled together. We went to, to neighborhoods um, up on the more northern side part of Panama City, uh, where, you know, the, these people had nothing. Their, their homes were in rubble, uh, you know, uh, some of them, their homes were okay, um, or, you know, halfway up, but they needed out. So we uh, spent several days just cutting um, trees. Um, people were coming out, hugging us, crying, thankful for the littlest things we were giving them. Um, one woman even um, came out and said, you know, you guys just spent a half hour cutting that tree so I could get my car out of the driveway. And I had a, a tree service say they would do it for $2,000 and y'all just did it for free. She said, you know, it shows you where humanity is. And I saw, gee, you know, uh, that's what we're here for. And I certainly couldn't charge anything, not when what we had was donated to us in the first place. And um, <clears throat> so it was a, a learning experience for, our, for my wife and I, but it was also, um, you know, and it, something that we were glad we could do just to, the little bit that we could put out, you know, and the little bit that we made. Uh, I'd like to, you know, also thank uh, the sister, uh, many of the, those in the League of the South, particularly the Florida League of the South, would know her. Um, the sister came out and helped us. Sister Mary, she she drove her, her van. I mean, um, over here was a van full of supplies. Um, we get back from doing our one of our daily drive arounds, putting out supplies to find uh, one of our brother's uh, whole spare bedrooms completely packed with supplies um so that gave us more more to work with and um it was just a, a great way to give back then and you know it's uh again a month later after over a month later now um i mean there's cleanup efforts that that are still happening and uh, just the other day uh one of the people the mapleton family um i spoke about them in, in one of my facebook uh posts um they uh they came out of their house when we seen them and we thought wow you know this uh this whole family's in this this house that they only had a one wall and some of the parts of the the roof were down on it there's a tree laying across it um but their minivan was hardly even touched um so we cut their their driveway out for them you know the trees so they could get out and well here they come out we're giving them water and we hear this baby crying so my wife you know shaylin says well uh 
you need anything for a baby? We got some juices. We got this. We got, you know, cut, we got a pack, a box of diapers, but I'm not sure how big the baby is. Woman says, oh, gosh, yes. And uh, then again, this was an eye-opener what we were up against, um, what we were looking at as far as relief with the volunteers just trying to help people here. The woman comes out holding the baby who was uh, probably not bathed, who was not bathed in, you know, three, four days easily and uh, wearing a, what appeared to be cut up cloth as a diaper. And uh, anyway, they... Uh, they were explaining to us that uh, no relief had came to them yet, that they were still waiting on FEMA, that the only ones they seen were National Guard troops that dropped off some MREs. But she said, look, she said, uh, our whole half our house got literally blown away, along with everything in our nursery, meaning my, anything to do with the baby was gone. Um, so uh, this was very emotional, mainly for my wife. You know, she really took it hard. You know, she's like, wow, this is amazing, you know, that, these people went through all this, but they're still like, well, you know, we're here and we're just going to get by what we can. So uh, the, obviously the woman was very grateful for the diapers that were donated by some of the, the Florida League of the South members. And it was a, a great help. And, um, you know, I got to see them a couple of days ago. And, uh, you know, I, I saw him rather, the husband. And, uh, you know, he said that they're doing well, that they uh, just got into a new house. So, I mean... Um, a new warehouse and uh it's affordable he um was able to keep his employment his uh his employer unlike many in that area as, as you know bill uh, it's uh they, they were destroyed uh his employer was one of them that was able to pull through so he still has a job um right a lot of the places of business are just destroyed that there's entire bank buildings and insurance buildings that are just destroyed that, that they've just gutted the buildings. There was a CVS in Lynn Haven. They just raised it. They just tore it down. That there's yeah. hundreds and hundreds of businesses like that in, in rather modern buildings that you'd think right. Right. But would hold up to a storm that are just destroyed. And, and part of the beauty of Panama City, um, even though a lot of areas in Panama City we would consider to be like the hood, right. like ratty, Negro-infested areas, but... The beauty of Panama City was that when they built it, the people that built houses cut very few of the original trees down. Right. That Panama City had probably had more trees in it than any other city I've ever seen in, in my life. And I've been all over the East Coast, the United States, and Canada. I've never seen a city with more trees around every house. And the trees were what caused all the damage. Yeah, that was evident. That was very evident. Um, even here a month later, they're still cutting trees off a lot of structures. And um, they're still getting uh, picking up trees that they were literally pulled out by their roots and taken by the wind and dropped. You know, the one guy said hey, he sued this tree that was a half a mile down the road. And there it's sitting in the middle of his yard. Uh, so, I mean, this, this, this it was a very mighty and powerful storm. Um, you know, we, we still never did make it down, which I, it sounds like they're, they're pulling through what they can is the, the people, the, the, the people there in Mexico beach, um, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're still mourning the, to this day, literally. Cause I seen that in the paper this morning that the one woman's in there crying cause her mother's, uh, was in her house when the, the surge came in and literally picked up her house in the water and just took it away. And, uh, she said, you know, it's hard to believe, you know, that my, after a month later, my mom's not coming back. Um, 
that they had the, the Coast Guard find her mother's body hours later after the storm. And uh, so that is it, it, just something that, you know, a lot of us think we see on movies. But uh, this is this became a very harsh, horrifying, uh, terrible tragedy for a lot of people, yourself included, uh, especially. I know uh, you, you too have a home that was damaged and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and, in it, and you were in it as well when the when the storm came. And four trees. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, four trees it, hit the roof. And it was the home that you were expecting to be safe in. So that this storm was very unpredictable. And uh, and I think that's why there are so many hard hit victims of it, you know. And uh, well, well, there was no warning in the storm the day before the storm. It was a category two that morning. Right. And and nobody here, I, I mean, the people on the Florida Panhandle are so used to hurricanes that they, they're they not worried about a Category 2. Right. But by late morning to early evening, the storm was upgraded from a Category 2 to a Category 4. And it's knocking at the door and it's going to hit in 12 hours. You can't prepare for something like that. That's right. And, and that's what we heard about from one of our brothers uh, that's there on the beach. You know, he he said, you know, we sat here because my house is built to take on a Category 3. I figured I'm safe because literally within two hours before it made landfall, they said, oh, by the way, it's at least a Category 4. He knew then that he had to evacuate. And and, and he made this smart choice. I think even though his home was, you know, bless his arm, the home wasn't destroyed. But I can only imagine the 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 scariness of trying to sit through something like that. And uh, so he went to a shelter, which ended up getting hit harder than his house did. But nonetheless, him and his wife and, and family pulled through and they're, they're safe. And, and uh, back on a, to what I said about the other members of the, L, the League of the South that we were looking for, we did find everybody, everybody ended up getting accounted for. So it, it turned out to be good for, for all those involved. And, you know, like I said, I, People ask, why did we come down? Or, you know, man, what prompted you guys just to come down here and just do this? And I'm like, well, you know, we, ever since this summer, ever since we've seen Panama for the first time, and anybody that's ever come into Panama would probably say similar, we, we just considered a home, you know? So we heard that this was hit like this, and we heard that there was some help needed. Uh, I was running a small mom and pop lawn care up there in, in Mississippi. So I had a lot of some of the equipment that was needed, like the blowers and chainsaws and I had plenty of the, I had a gas account up there. Uh, I just, I just filled up the gas cans and got a bunch of mixed uh, oil and stuff and just came down um, with the supply, other supplies needed. So, um, like I said, uh, it was just, uh, it was, it was a lot like it hit us just because we, we considered Panama home already, even though we weren't uh, even living here at the time and uh, which we're in the process of coming into now. But, um, it was, it was it was just a, a great way for us to to give a little bit to a community that we uh, hold pretty cherish pretty dear. As you said, there is some areas there in the in the city that that are the the ghetto, the the um, <laughs> ne- Negroes, the <laughs> wannabe the wannabe Negro gangs, and you know the riffraff, the drugs, the crime, and the that's any sections. city, that's right? Any city. However, as anybody again that comes to Panama would see that it's a prominently white area. Um, particularly Panama City Beach. Um, so it's a very uh, pleasant place to be at. I think that that is what um, affected or disaffected the government response to the storm. I, I don't wait on FEMA. I didn't make any FEMA applications. Don't get me wrong. I'm not looking for the government to cut me out. I, I started cutting myself out the morning after the storm. But, but I remember Katrina 
when Katrina hit New Orleans, FEMA was just like dropping $2,500 debit cards out, out of helicopters. I mean, everybody had a $2,500 debit card that right. they were being relocated in, in mass numbers to, to, right. to paid for first class hotels in Houston and, and other surrounding cities that were out of the path of the storm. That these people were coddled, that they were treated like um, like hurt little children, and and they were fed, and and that everything, all the government resources, and all you heard about in the news for for months after the storm was New Orleans, and and Hurricane Katrina. That's right. Now this storm that hit Panama City was just as bad. It may have been a couple of miles an hour shorter. The wind. But it was just as bad as Katrina. But because this area is predominantly white, you, you know, FEMA is writing people checks for $250. Yep, you're right. That, people whose homes that. were destroyed are getting checks for $250 bucks and, and a pat on the back and told goodbye. That's all we can do for you. Yeah, and, and that, that's been the story we've been hearing a lot lately um, with one of the jobs I've been doing for the cleanup effort, which is, on a pay scale, so I'm getting paid for it now. It's a job that's hiring. So um, we hear that a lot. You know, a lot of people, you know, they're still living in a tent in their front yard. And, you know, I ask, you know, well, what's what's going on? Why are you in a tent still after a month? Because we're still waiting on FEMA. We're still waiting on some type of help. We don't have, we, the one guy, he had a small uh, welding business that was completely wiped out. He's waiting on his insurance. I know you're, you yourself are waiting on your insurance for, for your damages. And it's uh it's just one of them things it just is uh you're right i think you hit the nail on the head and i think that's what a lot of people even those people that are they're just a, the 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 town's people are predicting uh already that if it had been a prominently black or non-white you know or a mestizo community the help would done been here and done had everybody out and moved and and we would have heard a lot more about it on the evening news. That's right. And and my wife and I noticed that even three days after the storm, we were hearing almost nothing about it. Right. It disappeared. Um, when we shared the pictures uh, that we had uh, from, you know, up there at your other place, so when we got pictures of us helping uh, our other League of South brother, all of us that went down there that one day helping him with his roof and stuff and, and cutting, and I know you went down there cutting the trees off his roof. We're sharing these pictures on social media. And it was shocking to see, you know, because I, I, we got friends all over the world, but, you know, all over, you know, the United States. And there's people saying, man, you know, guys, it's really that bad there? And puts a bunch of question marks. Well, of course it's that bad. No, North of Panama said, okay, the storm happened on Wednesday afternoon. And we weren't trying to go anywhere until Thursday. It was rather late in the afternoon by the time the storm was right. over. I was just trying to get my house together and, and save my library and things like that. Save my, my, my personal property from the water damage. Well, well the next morning, we, we headed to town. And we got down to Star Avenue, which is seven miles north of town, where Panama City starts. And we couldn't get past Star Avenue. The cops already had town sealed off by lunchtime the next day. Hmm. Yeah, we heard that. Panama City was sealed off. You couldn't even get in unless you were law enforcement or, or an emergency worker. Now, we went up to um, Dothan instead. We went to Dothan an hour and a half away just to be able to buy gasoline and other supplies that we needed and some non-perishable food items. But even Dothan, an hour and a half north, was hit pretty hard by the storm. 
and you couldn't buy fresh food there. We didn't want fresh food. We only wanted non-perishable food. But the supermarkets were emptying their shelves of the fresh food because they had lost electricity overnight. Of course. And all their food spoiled. Right. And, and th there were buildings destroyed in Dothan. But where I live, which is where my house is, which is 15 miles north of Panama City, half the trees are on the ground. At least half the and you're talk. I'm talking about miles and miles of pine forest, and and mixed wood original forest. I had a forest across the street from my house, and and there were like half a dozen houses in that forest that I couldn't see, and the next morning I could see them all. All the trees were down. Yeah, all the trees are broke or down. I'd say that Bay County. Bay County as a whole probably lost 60 or 70 percent of its trees during that storm. Yep. That, I, I've heard similar predictions of that. I have, I, you know, from, from some of the tree companies that they're local here, that they're saying that, that they lost, you know, well over 50 percent of the trees in Bay County. So, I mean, that, that tells you something. The, the, um, there's a railroad that goes north out of Panama City because there's a large port here that goes all the way up through Alabama. And, and this railroad follows the highway 231, which also goes to my house. There was an entire freight train with may, maybe 30, 40 freight cars turned over on the tracks. I had pictures of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of the utility workers, when we were down here doing the review, I was Shaylin and I. They they told us that that there was a that there was a, it, a train turned over, and they said it it's about a, a quarter mile long worth of cars that, that flipped. Yeah. I mean, a quarter mile long of train cars is a lot of weight. It's got to be 30, 40 train cars that I flipped mean, over, right? For that wind and that, that the, the power of that storm to take that out is, you know, again, it, it tells you the magnitude that uh, the storm that hit here and, and so many people, like I said, yourself included, you know, um, that it, it was inside your homes when this storm came rolling through and, uh, um, it's again, it's just something that's that's very devastating. You know, it's uh, to this day, you know, when I see the crews out here working on the streets, uh, a lot of people got their yards cleaned up, got the debris off the roof, whatever. But I will literally watch to see these um, debris trucks spend two days on one city block just removing our debris. That's how much piles of debris that are still in the mm -hmm. city. And this was just last week I was seeing this. Um, you know, there, there's still people living in tents. There's still people very, uh, frustrated, angry as you, the point you just pointed up about, you know, FEMA, they said, man, we've been waiting over a month and FEMA hasn't done diddly squat for us. And I'm like, and they're not going to, if they haven't done it now, why are you waiting? You know, I mean, you got to pick up your feet and got to move yourself and you got to do what you got to do. Um, that shows the, the mentality of the people, the amount of reliance they put on a government. It's like the government's their God. Yeah, they're waiting for the government to come help them. <laughs> Somebody's going to come wearing a, a FEMA Superman cape and and save their day, and it's it's that's not the case at all. And that's uh, it's unfortunate, like you said, that people have that, it's unfortunate people have that mentality, but that is. And um, you know, I just seen some, just yesterday some of the 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 Negro or the, the Negro thugs over here at the Panama City Beach Pier, which as you know is a probably all white area. The police are telling them they got to move; they can't be staying there. They said, you know, basically the cops said, look, look, you know, this is a tourist area. You got to go. They argue with the cop. It's their constitutional rights. And um, cop says, you're right. You have the right to travel. That means I'm helping you. You're right. You got to keep traveling. And, uh, <laughs> you know, um, 
Yeah, this is this is something that has affected this whole area. I mean, now you got the the, the garbage and riffraff that was in the ghetto over there. Now over here in a, a very clean and prominent white area of Panama City Beach, just uh, they're hanging out like it's their the, their slum they were used to living in over there in the ghetto that, that was wiped out. And it's just. Uh, I think eventually they'll be forced to move on. I think but so. once the tourist so season kicks up, they'll they'll have to move on because they'll be priced out of all the hotels. That's right. I agree. I agree. I think it's only that's only a matter of time. But uh, you know, I think too. Uh, we go back to what point you just brought up too that we we got a uh, the FEMA's going to come for them. They're going to help them. Um, and I know one thing that the League of South has has pledged to do is help the the whites and stuff, particularly in the community here. I know um, the Keystone Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, they've made that commitment. They To this day, uh, just recently, I heard that they want to um, continue raising funds to bring in funds to area for anybody that might need it, individuals, whatever. And so, I mean, it's, it's a long-term effort. It's going to have to be. Um, we, we need to start developing this mentality within the League of the South. That's my, my, my suggestion. I believe that the League of the South leadership is already aware of it of the need to fill this void but responding to a to a to a disaster like this the the time that we really needed help was the day after the storm that's how quickly fit because i had to travel an hour and a half luckily i could right i have two vehicles right i could pick the jeep with the most gas in the tank and just go and get whatever i needed but I'm I'm more fortunate than most other people because I had that ability. The, right, the, some didn't. Yeah, mo most people couldn't even get get out of their streets, get out of their roads. Right. The people in the the people in the area in the neighborhood I live in, they spent all night Wednesday night and all morning Thursday morning chainsawing trees to get out of the road onto the highway. I believe it. I I believe that. I. I mean, we looked, like I said, three days after, about three days after the storm, we arrived here. Um, and we wanted to be here that night once we heard, especially, you know, uh, you and Melissa and, and some other people that were uh, not really accounted for. And they were kind of not sure where you may be or not be or whatever. Uh, we wanted to leave that night, but it took us a day or two to get some funds. But once we did get here, there is still a lot of that going on. A lot of people there in the city even. Uh, roads that were not clear, people that were trapped, they were just kind of waving at people like, hey, here we are, we need help. But in order to help them, we had to cut our way in through to get to them. And, um, and you know, and I, and I think you're right on that too, that uh, the leadership needs to really look at that in the future. Maybe we can have some kind of program set up that we have, a, we're equipped to have more of an immediate response. I, I think every state chapter should look at setting that up. Yeah, Every state absolutely. chapter should have a, a, a storage trailer with supplies in it and, and some things you can't store long term like gasoline, of course, of course. but you could be ready to acquire gasoline right. for, for transport in your area before you go into that affected area. Right. right. What, what really helped me out a lot and, and I was doing okay Friday morning, don't get me wrong, but it would have taken me a week to, to get out to be able to help anybody else. Except that a, another League of the South brother, Kevin, came from right. Pensacola. And one of my Christian identity friends, Martin, came from Naples, Florida. They both, Kevin drove four hours and, and Martin drove eight. To, to, and, and they brought gasoline. They brought generators. They brought tarps for my roof. 
if I had to acquire all that stuff myself and cut the trees off the roof by myself, it may have taken me 10 days. Yeah, it would have been time lengthy for sure. But they came with the equipment that I needed and, and a helping hand. And by Sunday, I was as good as I could be. Right. Yeah, and I, I think that's Saturday evening or Sunday it was when, when I stopped. I know um, at your other place. And we already I was, had every, I was impressed. everything yeah. locked down. The trees were gone. The tarps were on the roof. By Sunday morning. Yep, and I and I was I was impressed to see that when you told me that that some of the other uh, League of the South pros came to help right away. I said, well, that's good because I was wondering how, in what ways the 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 Florida chapter of the league was was responding. So I mean, you were living proof of how quick you know at least some of the members individually responded. They responded right. immediately by coming out to to at least get you take care of, and we knew you were safe then and. It was a day or two later that we did end up getting all the other League of the South members accounted for, and everybody was safe. Nobody was injured. Um, so it was a uh, it was a great uh, it was a it was a it, it was great. After that, we were much relieved and weighed off our shoulders once we knew everybody was okay. And we seen how, you know, yes, your house was uh, was heavily damaged, obviously, um, but uh, that you had it all fixed, repaired, and thanks to other help, which you're right, that was taking you. Uh, you know, a week it would have taken sure. a good week for sure. Uh, to, it was to, a, it was a heck of a heck of a operation, and I mean, the whole end of your home was had to be destroyed. Tarped. It's destroyed. You know, yeah. So I actually had the steel tin, steel tin from my backyard. I had a bunch of tin from a, a shed blow into my backyard that I used to to patch up my roof, right? To put the tops on it, right? Yeah. So that's, I, uh, I mean, you have to. That that's in in a disaster. You have to. You can't just sit and wait for help. Now nah, you just gotta improvise and do what you gotta do, well, and uh, and and you know that's and I think a lot of people in the Panama area learned. That. I think a lot of people had an eye opener about how quick the so-called government's going to come to their aid, and they're not. Um, uh, I mean, there was people that literally I had to give my my uh, some some of my uh, metformin, my diabetes medicine for to lower the sugar. I had to give that to some people because the pharmacies were down. They 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 said, look, you know we. We were just about out of our prescription, and now the pharmacies are closed. Um, this is all something that you think, sure, the government should be there for the people. They're not. And and, and people the, thought that. People thought that FEMA's going to show up and give them this. I said, they're not. You know, Our, <laughs> our league brother, League of the South brother, Doug, who lives in downtown Panama City, mm -hmm. he had holes in his roof. And and we cleared the trees from his roof and yep. trees from around his house. Yeah. And the neighbors thought that we were FEMA. Because we're doing such a good job, just as you know, a handful, just a handful of us uh, League of the South people. Most of out us there, had yeah. the black League of the South shirts on, and they thought we were FEMA because we were organized and cleaning the trees away from his house. Right. And and, and his the the thing with Doug, Doug, Doug called FEMA because he has no insurance on his home, right? I know. And yeah. they wrote him a check. All the windows in his house were blown out. He has holes in his roof, and his house is pretty screwed up. And, yeah, and, he has um, some heavy damage. He did. He, he has yeah. some heavy damage, but it's at least he could occupy it. Well, well, FEMA gave him a check for two hundred and sixty-eight dollars. Sheesh. That, what that's, does that pay? That's all his federal aid yeah. is two hundred and sixty-eight dollars. That won't pay for the the plywood and the, and the screws that we use to board his windows up it to won't. cover the holes. It won't. I can vouch for that because I know. Uh, me and Shaylin and a couple of League of South members went that morning to pick up the plywood to bring out there. And when we went out there, we all just chipped in to get it, you know? And uh, we were like, wow, this stuff's expensive. And I'm like, don't worry. 
you know, I said, I'm, I'm sure that well, this is all we need to get. And, you know, I said, sounds like Doug already got his application with FEMA. And as you just pointed out, nothing. Well, nothing. a couple of days later, this Panama City government did come to Doug's aid. They did. They helped them out. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was aware they, of that. They That's left good. a notice on his gate telling him that he could not fix his roof until he had received a permit. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I, you built me, you built me up there for a minute. I thought, wow, the city actually looked out for their people. I, That's the help Doug's geez. getting from the government. Geez. And, you know, again, this is more, just more justification reasoning why, you know, whatever group you're in or even your community as an individual, prepare yourself to, for yourself, but also to help your, yourself, your, 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 yourself and your neighbors, you know, your, your neighbors are going to need help too when it's a disaster like that hits. And, um, you know, that way you all can band together. I mean, like I said, we went down one section of the, the neighborhood and these people didn't have houses, but the one guy who was able to spare his barbecue uh, was the, the, the neighborhood chef and they're all just bringing all their stuff out to cook it while, before it's spoiled and, um, you know, from their freezers and stuff. And I mean, they're all coming together. So hey, I like I like seeing that. It really showed how strong the community is too. But um but you're right. You know, these people, a lot of these people were waiting on the, on the, on the FEMA and some of them still are. They, they have this, this idea that FEMA's bringing in trailers. I don't know. I'm out here every day in the city. I don't see no trailers coming in for them. But in, in Katrina, they brought in thousands and thousands of, of temporary homes, like mobile homes or, or whatever for people to live in. And some people to this very day in New Orleans are still living in FEMA homes. Still, free, free, no, no to problem. this day, yep. and they didn't do that with Panama City. They didn't ship in, start shipping in mobile homes here for people to stay in. I, oh, I didn't no. see any of that. No, because again, it goes back to the point you made earlier. It's a prominently white uh, community, and it's not uh, prominently Negro or Mestizo. A bunch of mongrel skin, mongrel mutt skins running around. So. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, we, we, we had people contact us on social media after we posted the pictures. Say, man, is it really that bad? Because we aren't seeing nothing on the news, guys. See, people are relying on the news, too. They, 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 they think the news is going to tell the whole story. And a lot of times, the news right. don't even tell the story. Tell a story. Uh, these people are down here in Panama still suffering. And, again, we went that night after the storm is what we've seen on the news. And... And all the news said is Panama City and Panama City or Panama City Beach is no more. Now, as you and I both know, Panama City Beach is, is fairly okay. Yeah, um, hardly got touched. I mean, there are a few buildings that got some bad sure, damage, but sure. just a few. And uh, so that's what made us very concerned about brother about brother Greg and stuff and his family and as well as y'all and stuff. We, we didn't well, know what to come into. The conventional wisdom would be that Panama City Beach gets wiped out. And Panama City does a lot better. That's the, but it didn't happen that yeah, way. Yeah, no, it didn't happen that way at all. And, and obviously, even today is evidence of that. And uh, you know, I just, um, I just hope that, um, you know, that, that in time this community can continue to stay together. I mean, you're starting to see a lot of these bumper stickers and T-shirts. Even I got one of the T-shirts that says eight five zero strong. Um, you know, someone was selling a shirt there with a, a church group that was putting the relief efforts into yeah, somewhere. Yeah, well, probably some Jew capitalizing on, on the storm yeah. to make money selling T-shirts. Yeah, they, they say it's going to this relief effort. And I was like, well, it's kind of like when you give money to a homeless bum. They, they were, you know, I, get, I got the shirt because I like the shirt and I want to show my sport. But do I believe that that $12 went to that? Who knows? Thursday morning. 
we're headed up 231. And there were caravans of utility trucks, um, ambulances, and caravans of, of county sheriff's offices vehicles from other counties in Florida, mostly. Right. Headed towards Panama City. And, and they, they actually, I was really impressed with the response of neighboring local governments to help out. What, where the federal government was nowhere to be found. Within three or four days, we started seeing caravans of relief trucks from church groups and, and other nonprofit organizations. But, you know, those, all of those organizations showed up late. Yes, several, several days, a week later. I mean, people could be starved to death in a week, right? Right, yeah, yeah. And, and, and there's, and I've seen that again in today's paper, it showed, you know, there's had the names and pictures and ages of the people that, that, right. that died in the storm. And, you know, I was... I was just uh, I was just taken away emotionally by the high number of people. Now a lot of them were senior citizens that died due to lack of medical attention they needed. So they sat there for and they said so and so died October fourteenth. So and so died October sixteenth. This was six days after the storm, right? That they were not able to get. So one guy was out of electricity, so he didn't have his oxygen tank running. The other guy didn't have a, his insulin to keep his insulin cold. Um, so insulin goes bad, as we know, when it's cold for diabetics. Um, these people died waiting for help. They died, they didn't have to die, but they did because they were waiting for help to reach them that never came. And um, and that's unfortunately something that a lot of us, you know, that, that were down here could not do to help them. Um, and uh, and uh, But like you said, a lot of time a week later, here comes uh, the cavalry of all these churches from, uh, I saw one church from the state of Minnesota comes down with this big uh, closed-in trailers and all oh, this man, stuff. it's amazing the equipment they have and the resources they have. But it really is. But they're a week late. Yeah, a week late. I mean, these people done died. Um, several people did, and uh, they didn't die from the storm itself as a direct hit, but they died due to the results of it because they didn't have power. They didn't have. Uh, means to get out to get to pharmacies they didn't have means to to get out one guy laid underneath the house and, and died two days later because he didn't have he couldn't get to food or water he's trapped under his house and uh man that's uh that's just devastating to hear and you know and i think too i think that about a lot of these so-called big outfits that show up a week late um a lot of these are uh the prosperity christian churches i call them yeah uh they hurry up. They got to spend that first Sunday to hurry up and, and, and shake the pockets of their congregation to get all these supplies to say, look what our church did. But they're going to hurry up and only use a third of that money while they keep that other part right. of it. And, and and that's a very sad truth to a lot of it, and uh, especially from the big mainstream churches. And, I, and, I, and we've seen that firsthand. Uh, they'll get $100,000 in donations, and they bring in $10,000 worth of food. Now, that other 80000 went ahead and went to a bank account somewhere. Um, you know, they, they don't have the people in mind. They got, they got themselves in mind, and, uh, and that's the reality of it. When you see all that, and yet you still see people died, um, you know, because, again, these, these people show up out here later. You know, uh, people think that, because the National Guard is here handing out MREs, people are going to live off MREs for a week. And I, and I reckon some of these younger people that are in the military or in not in the military, they probably could. They could 
they could probably survive off that for a week, you know, because you're physically fit, you know, you're a little healthier. But let's keep in mind, a lot of the Panama area are retirees. They're, oh, yeah. they're, they're elderly. Right. Um, one of our friends that's in with the nine, uh, Keystone Nine Six Two Clocks Clan even said that, uh, you know, he said it was crazy. He said we went reached this uh, this elderly home, and a bunch of elderly women are out there. We get in there, and he said, you know, uh, the a Negro woman, probably in her nineties, uh, said, "Oh, y'all, the government man." Again, they go back to thinking this was the help coming. He goes, "No, man, we're just a clan." And she goes, "Well, I need ice for my insulin." The other lady says, I need ice. And he goes, nobody's even came to give you ice yet? And they're like, no. We've been waiting for almost three days, and our insulin might be bad if it is, or close to it. So they gave him ice, and uh, the Negro woman decided to make a comment that she's going to take it to her grave telling the story that she had to count, as a black woman, she had to count on a Klansman giving her ice for her insulin before she could ever count on the government. And I said, well, that's pretty sad when even a when even one in her status can see that, they, they, you know, they're the ones that's always looking for that government aid. And here is uh, not the government, but the, the ones that they, they, they feel that they, they, they see oppose them. They had to come and give them ice. And uh, not that I don't think that the, the brothers were being the kinder, friendlier clan type or anything. They said, well, she needed ice. We gave her ice. And, um, you know, uh, but he said, we found it ironic how she acknowledged it. She had to count on a group that opposes her people. To help her get ice before she could count on the government after three days of sitting and waiting for ice to come and that's all she needed she said look you know we got can't we got this uh cans of beans and weenies and this stuff we've been eating but we got to have this stuff right. simple things like ice and you know and most of the help that we were offered in my house at my house while i was cutting away the trees and and winching junk away from my from my driveway right, right. in the house your Jeep is a big blessing. I think Brother Doug can vouch for that, too. Uh, that, that winch on your Jeep is really it was a big help there at Doug's house. I know you said that it was a big uh, help at your place. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's amazing what you do with a winch when you have oh, to yeah, move yeah. a whole lot of stuff oh, yeah. real quick. Well, well anyway, the, the, uh, most of the people that stopped with offers of useful help, I didn't need anything because I had my, my friends from out of town brought me everything we needed and, and my own ability to get to Dothan and back the first day of the storm. I had everything I needed. But most of the people that offered useful things to us, useful help the first three days, were just local people doing it from the good of their own heart. Yeah. They weren't in any church group. They weren't trying to um, earn public relations points for any particular organization. They were just local people. Who, who had the ability to go get a hundred cases of water or, or bring it. Yeah. food or whatever. And, and that they were the only ones that really offered us anything that was, that would have been useful if I needed anything. Right. Yeah. yeah and, I, and that's what we've seen that, that, that whole week after the storm that Shayla and I was driving around is a lot of people told us that that's what got really people choked up and it was emotional about it. You know, we went to a, um, two sisters or three sisters trailer park. I forget what it's called exactly, but me and another guy, he was just another guy. He came in here from Southern Alabama. He, he was just a, a guy that just showed up. Um, you know, he said, look, I had chainsaws and they said they needed chainsaws and then people to run them to cut people out here. So we're here. And I'm like, Oh, cool. And we were cutting through and we got to this trail park and these people like came running at us. Like it was a family reunion, hugging us and crying. And, um, she said, you know, the Niagara storm, we saw, a 
a Coast Guard chopper fly over and spotlight us, and we all waved after the one lady pulled a flare gun off her husband's boat and shot a flare gun, and the chopper flew over. She said, well, we thought they were coming, and she said, that was that was over two days ago. Well, they weren't coming. And she said, and here, you guys, we heard chainsaws, and the one little girl there, this is, this is something else I want to point out. That it, it, man, it really hit me, and I tell you, it takes a lot for me to really get emotional about anything. I just take life as life, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But um, this little girl, she's probably about eight, nine years old. She said, you know, she said, uh, she said, you guys must be the angels. And I was like, how do you think we're angels? And the other guy's like, oh, we're just here to help little one. And he goes, you need any candy bars? And he's getting her some candy bars. We're getting the other kids some bags of chips out of their trucks, you know, the different the donated items. And anyway, she said, well, because she said that, um, well, Jesus said that you'll hear the angels in a couple of hours. I said, well, oh, did you hear us? And she goes, yeah, I heard your chainsaws. And your chainsaws is what helps us, helps it, how we can get out. So, so a, a nine, eight, nine-year-old girl can take that comprehension like that. You know, it really hits your heart good, you know, in a good way. That Wow, you know, little kids can hit can hit that like that. And, um, you know, these people are just so grateful. And, uh, you know, uh, here we're sitting here thinking, man, all it is is like, things that we take for granted water toilet paper toothpaste right. uh, toiletries well, you know deodorant stuff like that this this woman says man we haven't had a shower in, uh, in three plus days she said man that's the, 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 the deodorants look pretty good and i'm like wow <laughs> I, I guess so okay and uh and they just yeah. came running up to a truck just taking stuff off the truck which is great that's what it was there for but um it was about four days before i got a shower after the storm but that was only because i was lucky enough to have another house to go to right and 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 the the one saving grace we had was that we lived 10 miles outside of town the people that lived in town the town was sealed off by the by the law enforcement authorities yeah we heard that from a lot of people you couldn't get in and out of town and if you could leave you weren't getting back in yeah and and that situation lasted for four four days at least that they had the town sealed off and and then after that they imposed a curfew instead, what which started out seven PM to seven AM. Yeah. And that yeah. lasted about two weeks. But we could travel freely because we were ten miles outside of town. So that was a big help to me. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that I can that could come in your in your benefit there. And that's and as that's long what, as we cut our way out of the road that we live right, on. Right, yeah. Yeah, after a day's worth of labor to get yourself out of your own road, uh, you know. But yeah, like I said, it, it was just an experience. It was an experience that was emotional, but uh, happy. It was a mixed emotions, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Some days were just real sad. Some days were very. We were excited. We were happy for people. We gave us a sense of pride. You know, Shaylen even said she goes, Sean. A lot of people said, I bet y'all ain't moving to Panama now, are you? She goes, you know what? I, this makes me want to move here more. I said, you know, really? And she said, yeah. She said, look at these people. She said, I mean, they were hit with one of the largest storms to ever hit this area, if not the largest storm ever had it, recorded to hit it. And and they just they just go about their business. They, they ain't letting it affect them, you know, at least not showing it anyway. They're doing real well with that. And she said, and uh, it shows you the heart of the community. So she said, uh, so yeah, she goes, that's, that, that's just call it home, you know. And I said, oh, it sounds like a plan. And she said this as we're standing on a pile of, of uh, rubble of uh, a house and trees and a guy's smashed car. And we're like, oh, yeah, you know, and I, you know, guy, so, okay, the guy we're helping, he asked, well, what are you all saying? 
I saw we're just separate talking about calling this place home here. And now I said, well, I think we're going to make it official. We're going to make the effort to move down here. And he said, well, he said, I'll tell you what, I, I, I thank each and every one of you that came out of town. You know, uh, as you point out, he said it was the, the ones that came in from out of town as individuals just to bring in supplies. And he said it was the biggest help of all. And he right. said, because uh, those people were here pretty quick. Right. And, and, and here, Shaylin and I, we felt a little a little Johnny come late just because we got here that Saturday. And, you know, the storm yeah. was Wednesday. We got here early that in the wee hours that Saturday morning. Yeah. The, the league, I think, needs a, a, a each state chapter should coordinate its own response group to respond to things like this the next day. Right. And the I, next day. I agree. And even though the league isn't big enough to help out entire communities at this time, if we focus on our own people and help each other out and others see that, they want to be a part of that. Right. That's right. And uh, and I and and I know um, uh, I think that would be effective. And I think leadership is is implied on trying to make effort to go that route. But, you know, again, it goes about the, having the size of the organization. Um, I know we've uh, I know League of the South has has try to make measures since this, you know, because this was a big eye opener, especially for Florida League of the South, because it's it's one of the bigger chapters, if not the biggest chapter um, of the league. So, I mean, I think that it'd be doable, but uh, it's something that we have to start and the guest plan little by little and get it prepared little by little. Because as we learned when we came down from Mississippi down here with that, that relief effort, you know, three days. I mean, gosh, these people, that woman and her child, they were in that, they were under that house for, for almost three days, a little over two days. They were under that house. Um, and uh, it was just really uh, heartbreaking to see that, thinking, wow, you know, the lady says, you know, I already told my little girl we're going to have to pray for Jesus and stuff because we figured we ain't going to make it. And I'm like, wow. And you know what? She They could have easily been on that list of people I've seen today if if it had not been for, uh, and I'll give the credit to Shaylan, you know, for seeing that. Just, she just had yeah, a lighter. Right. She deserves it. Yeah, yeah. She she just seen that lighter <laughs> flicker, and, and uh, otherwise I would have never even seen it. Well, it, it's um, it's definitely something, and it's an experience to learn from that we want to take and and turn into um, a better organized plan in the future. Oh yeah, yeah, and I, and I think, and I think it will. I, I really have confidence that we'll, we'll, we'll make efforts. Um, if not, like you said, I mean, if not off a national level as far as organization, um, as you know, we're, we're moving here into, into Panhandle, Florida. I mean, it, it, even you and I and the handful of us here started here because, as we know, that one of these storms can hit at any time without warning. Um, oh right. Uh, so it'd be good that you know maybe maybe one of us you know one one of us when I say one of us I mean chapter wise. One of the chapters takes the lead and shit and gets it together and shows the other state chapters. Look, this is what we're doing. Maybe it can be a domino effect. Right. And well, the can... Panhandle chapter is definitely going to work on that. Yeah, yeah, and and I and I can fully understand why y'all have just uh y'all have literally faced uh, the the biggest storm to hit this area ever recorded. So that 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 doesn't give you a reason. I don't know what would. <laughs> <laughs> right. We should be better organized to help one another. In, in times like this and it probably doesn't take a whole lot no not not if you do it little by little it's a lot when you try to do it all at the last minute or two hours after the storm hit it's a lot to do at that time but if we are prepared no it, it, then you, you got everything equipped and you're ready right all um, you need is a is a little plan to gather your resources and and get going a, a, an event like this i mean you don't 
you don't always have four days, five days notice to prepare. No. And and as I said, this particular hurricane was not an issue until the day before the storm. Right. Yeah, that's true. But that is the time to to start to get ready to, to no, respond. Time, tomorrow, that storm's hitting these people. Right. Yeah. Right. That's exactly. the time. I, I, most Category 4, Category 5 hurricanes are Category 4s and 5s when they're 100 miles offshore and, and or 300 miles offshore. And, and you know they're going to hit, and, and you know roughly where they're planning, where, where you think they're going to hit. So, so you could be, you could have three days, four days notice to prepare in most hurricanes. <coughs> that wasn't quite the case with this one. I wasn't worried about it at all un, until the night before the storm. And even the night before the storm, I couldn't imagine it would have done so, that much damage so far inland because usually the storm's pretty much weakened by then this storm caused damage all the way through north alabama and north georgia yeah i was gonna say i i know it hit dothan alabama as a category three plus, there are homes all the way into southern georgia there are homes that this storm destroyed as far north as albany georgia that i've heard yeah of, yeah that's which is pretty far north yeah <laughs> Yeah, and you're right. That's never heard of. That's usually you just get the coastal town that gets hit real good, and that's it. Right. Um, but yeah, this the uh, Hurricane Michael wanted to make it leave his mark, I guess, and he and he did in a very bad way for a lot of lot of people. Yeah, this hit. I think this storm hit Georgia as a cat. It was still a Category Four. Yeah, it was. It was. It was intense. It was um, probably. Probably, I'd say one of the ones I, I know I'm only 40 years old, but the biggest one I've ever remember or even heard of. So, um, and I know that the meteorologist said that um, it's a it's a biggest one that it was ever recorded in this area to ever hit. Right. Know? So, I mean, that, that's pretty good size. And I know even the people that lived it, you know, there's some people that lived through it that uh, Brother Doug being one of them, he said, look, he said, they said it's a category four. I'm going to say it's a five. Because it was only two miles per hour slower than making it a five, right. so it was a five, uh, and, and it's true. Um, I think it, I, I think that it, it was more intense than again what the media said it was, and that's why, you know, one of the main reasons the media just kind of blocked it out after the first day. You didn't hear no more about it. Who cares? It. It's a bunch yeah. of white people. Yeah, yeah, we don't care about them. They'll get help. Do they, they aren't, don't they have insurance? Don't they have that? Can't they white, help themselves? Yeah, don't they have that white privilege thing that we all think they got that they can just magically pick it up and go? Uh, that, that's that, that's the logic of the media and the, and and society in general, and that's why the media didn't cover it, like you said, like they did when the Hurricane Katrina. We heard about that for. That's because inside they know the truth that they can't express outside. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Because it's not politically correct. Right. Yeah, because they, uh, they they sure wouldn't want to have too many people bring help and financial aid to a, a white community. Well, Sean, thank you for sharing your hurricane story with us. Yeah, no and, problem. And Anytime. Thank you especially for, for your help here and your response to the storm. Hey, no problem. As long as I'm willing and able. Thanks for being here.